Welcome to Think Arctic, a podcast powered by GCI that tackles the biggest issues facing the Arctic and its stakeholders. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Holly Noland. In this episode, we speak with Fran Ulmer, chair of the U.S. Arctic Research Commission, about the United States chairmanship of the Arctic Council, as it is about to transfer to Finland. We also speak with Stefan Lindstrom, Consul General for the Consulate of Finland in L.A., about what to expect from the Finnish chairmanship. First, Fran Ulmer. I've lived in Alaska since 1973, and for those of us who have been there for a long time, we have watched the Arctic change pretty dramatically. And I think for those of us who love Alaska and always want to live in Alaska, we're concerned that many of the things that are changing are not well understood, are not well understood either from the standpoint of how rapidly it's happening or what kind of impact that will have on people, communities, and their ability to live in the Arctic. So this became increasingly important to me as I went to work for the University of Alaska Anchorage at the Institute of Social and Economic Research. I was surrounded by people at the university who had been studying not just the science of how is the environment changing, but also the social, economic, and cultural changes that are taking place in Alaska and elsewhere. So that really piqued my interest, and I started doing more and more reading and more and more trying to understand how to communicate those changes not only to people who live in the Arctic, but to people outside of the Arctic. People in the lower 48 who really know very, very, very little about either Alaska or the rest of the Arctic. So that started, I don't know, 15 years ago, but it really intensified in the last 10 years. And when President Obama appointed me to the United States Arctic Research Commission in 2011, it became much more than just a hobby. It became pretty much the thing that I spent more time on than anything else. That enabled me to get to know many of the other players in the Arctic science and Arctic policy field around the Arctic. So the international aspect of it just intensified after being appointed as chair of the commission, and I feel very grateful for the opportunity. Now, you mentioned that in the lower 48, there isn't a lot of awareness of of the Arctic. Do you think that that has improved since the U.S. had uh, was chair of the Arctic Council? I think the awareness has improved dramatically for several reasons. About five or six years ago, the media started really paying attention to climate change more than it had in the past and started using the Arctic-like retreating glaciers and ocean acidification as something that they actually covered. When the United States became chair of the Arctic Council in 2015, part of its mission, part of our goal, so to speak, for our chairmanship was to help raise awareness. And that has happened in a variety of ways. Uh, People going to strange places to give speeches. So, for example, I have given speeches now about the Arctic in Houston, in South Carolina, in Chicago, in Palo Alto, because actually people are pretty hungry for information about a place that has this exotic feel, but about which they have some pretty strange ideas that don't really match up to reality very well. So it is a wonderful opportunity, I think, that the U.S. 
chairmanship of the Arctic Council has presented to pique people's interest and attention at a much deeper level than the level they were getting before, which was more sort of just these strange little anecdotes. Now I think our effort really has to be about continuing that in a way that can achieve meaningful change. Because it's not good enough just to have people be curious or know a little bit more. It's important to get them to act, to tell their congressman that, yes, it really is a good idea to invest in science. It's a good idea to invest in icebreakers for the United States. It's a good idea to invest in ports and some of the search and rescue capacity in the north if we are going to live up to our responsibilities as an Arctic nation. Besides improved awareness, what other successes do you think have come out of the U.S.'s chairmanship of the Arctic Council? The Arctic Council is a consensus-based intergovernmental forum. It doesn't hand out money, it doesn't build bridges, it doesn't regulate, it doesn't even tell countries what they have to do. What it really does is provide an opportunity for Arctic nations to find areas of common interest and to figure out ways in which that common interest can advance the progress on two main goals. One, environmental protection, and the other, sustainable development. So our goal as a chair was really to focus on some of the issues where we felt by cooperating with our neighbors, we could make more progress than by doing things all by ourselves. So a lot of the projects really were kind of looking at what's best practices. So in the area of telecommunications, as an example, the telecommunications task force that was established by the U.S. chairmanship really looked at doing an assessment of what is the status of broadband services and what can we learn from each other and are there some new business partnerships across borders that would really expand and accelerate the investment of broadband. So that's just one example, but I really encourage people to go to the Arctic Council website and look at the whole host of projects, everything from exercises for search and rescue to suicide prevention program. So it's not like the Arctic Council chairmanship is going to make those things happen. It's going to enable decision makers, whether they are in the public sector or the private sector, whether they're in the federal government level or the local government level, enable them to take good ideas to another level of success. Given the changing political landscape in the U.S., what should the priorities in the Arctic be moving forward? We don't know yet from the new administration what priorities might change or the way in which the agencies that have responsibilities in the Arctic might do business differently. We just don't know yet. There's a lot going on in the first few months of any new administration, and this new administration has had a lot of things put on its plate. Uh, So for the time being, I would have to say Arctic business as usual. And there's a lot to build on. So the Obama administration initiated a number of things that hadn't existed before. A national Arctic strategy. A national Arctic strategy implementation plan. A revision of the five-year Arctic research planning process for all of the agencies that have any money for doing Arctic research. So, I mean, there have been a number of things that have been put in place that are moving forward. The Arctic Executive Steering Council, which hadn't existed before, is a way of coordinating 
all the federal agencies that do business in the Arctic, all those things are still in place, and they're functioning around the same big-picture goals that I expect will be the same under the new administration. And what do I mean by that? International cooperation, stewardship of the Arctic region, attention to national security concerns, empowering the people of the region to have a say in their destiny. Those are the kind of broad goals that are in the National Arctic Strategy. I think they probably will continue under the new administration, but I think only time will tell. In a recent speech, you spoke about unmanned aerial vehicles. What role do they play in the Arctic? Arctic research is dangerous and expensive because it is conducted in a place where there isn't much search and rescue capacity, there isn't much infrastructure, and when you are out there, you are out there. So a lot of the research that is done is done with a great deal of planning and a fair amount of money. And there are many things about the Arctic, particularly in the wintertime, that we don't know because there isn't much research done in the wintertime because it's dark and very cold and very inaccessible. So the idea of using technology like unmanned vehicles to be able to do both under the ice, in the water, and in the air, above the ice, in the wintertime, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to use technology to get information about the rate of change and what exists that, frankly, right now has been pretty hard to get at. So, obviously, University of Alaska Fairbanks and many other universities that do research in the Arctic have begun to use these unmanned vehicles in very creative ways. What the U.S. Arctic chairmanship priority was to set some guidelines about how to do that safely, both from the standpoint of safety for the equipment, safety for people, but also to not interfere with other kinds of aircraft, because obviously that would be uh, a bad thing. So I would say that the potential here is great. And as more and more experimentation takes place with using this kind of technology to do research, I expect that that will explode. Thank you, Fran. Is there anything else you'd like to add? The only thing I'd like to add is to encourage people to go to the website of the Arctic Research Commission. It's a very easy website to remember, www.arctic.gov. So if you go to arctic.gov, you have access to a lot of information, information about the goals that the Arctic Research Commission has identified as the top priorities for investment in Arctic research, information about the first ever White House Arctic Science Ministerial and what other countries are doing in the Arctic space and a link to the Arctic Council website where you can get information about the projects that were undertaken under the U.S. chairmanship. So if you go to arctic.gov, there are some great resources there for people who are just curious but also people who are doing research and want to be able to access the kinds of reports that will help them. Thank you, Fran. Now let's turn to Stefan Lindstrom. Stefan, let's start by talking about your role in the Arctic. Uh, well, my role is, is now, of course, a little bit different because at, at this moment I'm, I'm uh, working in Los Angeles as the Consul General and uh, my jurisdiction are, is the 13 westernmost states. Uh, so in, in that sense, the policy making is made in Finland in, in Helsinki at the capital, at the ministry. Uh, I oversee a little bit of it, what's happening here on, on a practical level, but uh, not to that extent that I would be a hands-on person in, in, in the Arctic Council uh, chairmanship now. 
So as Finland gets ready to take over the chair of the Arctic Council, uh, what are its priorities? The priorities, uh, you, can, you can say that uh, the, the first thing is uh, we have chosen two overarching frameworks that should be taken into account in all activities. Uh, first one is climate change, and the second one is sus- sustainable development goals uh, of Agenda 2030 that the United Nations adopted two years ago. Uh, on climate change, the Paris Agreement uh, is, uh, defines the present level of ambition by all countries. And the second is that on the SDGs, the international community has established consensus and the commitments are being worked out as we speak. In a recent speech, you mentioned there are four main priorities for the Arctic Council. Can you touch on those? The first one is is environmental protection, uh, which is, of course, mandated already in in the uh, Ottawa Declaration from 1996 when the Arctic Council was established. And uh, safeguarding biodiversity and and, uh, curbing the emissions of black carbon and methane uh, are examples of the work that is underway. The second is uh, connectivity. Uh, which is really basically telecommunications. That in the Arctic area is, is sort of, uh, it was launched during the US uh, chairmanship, and we are following up very strongly on that one uh, on, on, because we recognize that this is one of the really, really key issues. Uh, it's clear that uh, developing human activities will depend on better connectivity, uh, and the various technical solutions should be identified so that appropriate investments also could be made, bringing in the business side of it uh, on, on that. It's not just a governmental operation, it's also a business operation. The third one is a new focus area of of the Arctic Council, and that's the meteorological cooperation. Uh, This brings in all the Arctic countries uh, to a new area, and uh, it will be developed together under sort of the umbrella of WMO, the World Meteorological Organization. Uh, The need for such cooperation is is pretty obvious. Uh, Changing climate uh, or the changing climate will require better science, better observations and services in the meteorological and the hydrological areas that serves, for instance, fishermen or scientists and, 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 and all these, these operatives. And the fourth one is something that is, of course, close to the heart of all the Finns, and that's education. Uh, education is a priority because uh, we see that all school-aged children in, in the Arctic should have access to good basic education. Uh, Finland has a world-class reputation in education. We believe we can bring something useful to the table in in, in this field. And uh, simply put, uh, education is the key to sustainable development in the Arctic. How do you think other Arctic countries can learn from from what Finland is doing um, and apply some of what you guys are doing? Uh, Considering the chairmanship, I think one of the main issues is is something that uh, uh, align with the the future presidency already a long time before. As was pointed out in the the plenary, uh, Finland and U.S. actually started cooperating uh, four years before the Finnish presidency, which means that that was actually in the starting of the Canadian presidency, and we recognize that we have the consecutive presidencies after that. So already four years before we started looking into what should be achieved together. And uh, this is something that uh, it's a little bit of a new approach because uh, commonly uh, what happens in, in these kind of presidencies is that uh, many countries look very subjectively to the matter and saying that what's in for me. Uh, instead, uh, with the U.S., we have worked out an idea sort of that what's in for us. How can we build on this together? And, and I think that's the bigger, biggest framework, in a sense, uh, again, working sort of from the common perspective from, from doing things together. Let's talk about icebreakers. Why do you see that there's a big need for this in the Arctic? 
Well, in the Arctic, generally, the, uh, of course, they are, they are the biggest contributor to, to safety of shipping uh, in, in any single way. Uh, for the U.S., it's very important because U.S. at this moment have two operative icebreakers when comparatively with, for instance, Russia, uh, who has 46. Uh, and and uh, this is already a security issue more than anything else. But icebreakers are, are, uh, they are not only breaking the ice in, in that sense, they are also the uh, operative search and rescue centers. Uh, they serve the local community. They, they do a lot of different issues uh, than, than just breaking the ice physically. And they, they, uh, when people say that you don't need icebreakers anymore because uh, the, uh, the ice is melting, uh, they couldn't be more wrong. They, you need them actually more than ever because uh, new ports are going to be developed, uh, new shipping routes are going to be developed. And in those, uh, the new icebreakers, maybe not as big polar star class icebreakers are needed, but small multi, sort of multi-purpose icebreakers are, are definitely needed. What other opportunities do you think um, exist in the Arctic right now? The, uh, your imagination is really the only only sort of obstacle for that. Uh, looking at uh, clean energy, uh, looking at, at all the solutions that come out from that, uh, uh, how uh, there are many obstacles co- concerning well communication, infrastructure, and, and things like this. And if you can get those through, uh, then uh, the, the sky is really the limit of, of what you can do. Uh, and uh, the, what we are trying to do, of course, is, is always to keep the business perspective in mind with whatever policy we made in a sense so that uh, it, it would become a, maybe a public-private partnership or maybe just a, a private entrepreneur that, that goes in there and does it. We have plenty of examples where, where, where uh, positive developments can come out of this. And what do you see as some of, I guess, the biggest challenges that the Arctic faces moving forward? Uh, the recognition of that uh, climate change is a fact. Uh, we still have a lot of naysayers who, who think that this is somehow uh, something that just appears every now and then, but uh, uh, all the evidence is very clear that uh, this is an absolute fact and, and it has to be recognized. Because it, it's very clear that uh, uh, I used the phrase that what happens in the Arctic doesn't stay in the Arctic. I mean, it, it impacts us all in, in different ways. We see the storms in Europe, storms on the uh, east coast of the U.S. We see rising water levels. Uh, uh, the, the radiation is not reflected in the same way. At, or it, it's reflected much more than, than before. So these, these, are, these are really big issues that we all have a common goal and understanding of what are the causes for it. Thank you, Stefan. And thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode of Think Arctic. <laughs> Yo, I'm not